Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by the Lithuanian Music Information Center. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be having conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. The music of Julius Oglinskas is something rather intuitive. At the same time, it has a bit of coldness and solitude. This aesthetic sentiment of melancholy doesn't call for an excessive attention. This becomes evident in pieces composed in a meditative Feldmanesque fashion, injected with a dose of nostalgia. I'm joining him virtually from Lithuania. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture for the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers on Air. It's been about two or three months as we've started this project. And now that we're kind of exhausting all the possibilities of meeting people personally, I've moved to a virtual environment where I'm trying to meet composers that are living in Lithuania and working in Lithuania. And so I wanted to, you know, again, welcome you. And I know that you've been working very hard and keeping your activity strong during the pandemic. But I wanted to ask you as an opening question is you've maintained quite a great level of productivity. And I just wanted to ask you how it's been feeling to play the role of a creator and also balance other aspects of your life. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. And during the pandemic, it was pretty hard to stay creative. I don't know why, but I started to feel a bit isolated from connection of people and ideas which probably come up when you communicate with people and things like that. But on the other hand, it was pretty interesting period of time to probably concentrate into your inner self and try to expose all those very intimate and things which you wouldn't necessarily compose or speak when you're in a normal environment. <laughs> Right. You know, one of the things that comes to mind when I listen to your music and it hit me very quickly that there was this very clear indication of exposing an inner state. Some of your music has been called Feldenesque and through the work of Morton Feldman, there's this slower, more introspective quality to the music. And so what you're saying about taking the time to go inward, I think it's something that you're already familiar with, that you have an interest to express yourself in these inner states. And this state of mind, I think it moves around a center with very strong hints. And often it never, at least in a traditional way, arrives at a stability yet there seems to be a very peaceful and calm process. And so as a way of connecting with your compositional process, I'm wondering how you work between the ideas of how you feel and how you execute compositional ideas. 
Oh, that's a long question <laughs> and a strong question. I remember probably during 2016, I was commissioned to write a piece for string quartet and life electronics. And I felt myself then that I, uh, you know, at the time and now I am living in Vilnius in the crowded city. Not as crowded as New York, probably, but I was thinking to myself, gosh, I cannot do anything here, you know? There's too much people around, too much noise around. I have to go somewhere to the countryside, sit alone and get to the point. But then I realized something in my mind. I sat down by the piano and and started to write. I mean, sometimes we overthink, I think, these lonely moments and we overthink that we need those some specific environmental things to get to the creative point, you know. But the thing is, everything is in your head. <laughs> so when I realized that, I felt like, you know, I felt the same if I was somewhere in the countryside, in the woods, in the cabin. So usually the most necessary thing for the beginning of my composition is to get in touch with the idea very clearly, to feel the idea and to connect with the idea. That's the most important thing. And then I can start writing down some melodies, some harmonies and, and stuff like that. And later on, structuring everything.
When you invest time to connect with the idea, as you said, is this a, a meditative process? Is it investing in periods of silence? I feel a lot of silence in your mind when I listen to your music. So are these long periods of time or short periods of time? How much time are we talking about here? Actually, you're very, I have to say, you're a very empathetic listener. I feel that you connected with my music somehow very clearly. So you can understand that. And uh, yeah, I am investing time in long walks, you know, along the woods, along the city. And um, I don't usually take any meditation or, or yoga or things like that. I try to be in touch with the present state, with the world where I'm living in. And I have my own ways, probably, where I can just put myself into the sight of the whole movement of the world and look to it from the side and not get distracted by it. So, yeah. These are silent moments. For example, today I came early in the morning, like 8 or 9 o'clock, and I sat down by the piano, and I was sitting for the half an hour. Then I pushed some chords. Don't know. <laughs> this is very simple. <laughs> it may sound to some that it may not be the act of working, but I believe as a creative person and a composer, that this is actually part of the work. And I think there are many people that think work is typing on a computer screen or mousing on a computer screen. And perhaps if they have a job that requires a lot of thinking or reflection, that somehow it would be unacceptable for a boss to view this individual sitting and thinking. And if they weren't actually typing or mousing, they wouldn't be productive. So I think there's a lot to say about the value of work in the investment of reflection. Now, in the actual writing of the music and putting the notes down, for example, I know you've studied music formally. I know you're a student of Barkauskas and you're learning techniques and theory and all the normal things that musicians learn in a music school and yet and also the musical traditions of classical music etc but when you arrive at your own personal identity then your musical process is very unique to your own let's say arrival of educational evolution so are there any aspects or areas of musical technique that you could speak to about how you compose music? I think I'm very interested and attracted by the concept of an open form, which was used by many American composers like Terry Riley, also Martin Feldman and uh, others. So probably this thing drives my structural and logical way of constructing the material. But what else? It's probably something like deconstructed canon or something. I would, I would call my approach like that or asynchronous uh, canon where, you know, two same lines of material can move in a different timing. 
for example, one musician and the second musician plays the same material but slightly in a different tempos or slightly in a different rhythmic values. And so you, you could feel and get this feel of deviation in, in time. There's an idea of small gestures, maybe hints of a feeling, and then leaning into the feeling, but maybe not for very long, then possibly a repetition. Now, there are a lot of, let's say, compositions that are under 20 minutes, but there's also this very large work, Daydreamer, which was recorded by Apartment House, I believe. And this idea of long form, how do you change your approach when you have to confront the idea of 74 minutes? And is there something that changes in the way that you approach the project? Actually, when I was writing Daydreamer, I wrote a lot of material at the first stage of producing and recording this album. And later on, we ran into the studio and recorded everything I wrote. Then when I came back to Vilnius, I started to, I started editing and gluing things around. And some of it was probably deleted. Some of it was extended, but probably I decided a lot of structural and dramaturgical things, for say, in the later stage when I was editing everything. So, yeah, I mean, not all of the things were decided on the first stage when I was laying down the notes on, on the paper. Thank you. 
Now, I also understand you work as a sound engineer. And so there is, for all the sound engineers I know, and even sound designers, there's a lot of hours we spend with the intimacy of sound and editing and working materialistically with sound, kind of like a proofreader, always checking minute details of everything. But also there's an aspect of what we call in music professional survival. And so how is it with your balance of being a creator in a fulfillment role and then being a sound engineer in a survival role? How is it balancing working with sound of other people and working with your own? And how do you feel the relationship of this work connects to your own work? That's an interesting question. Actually, I try to connect these two fields of musical exploration. And I think in my way, they fulfill each other in some way. I mean, because uh, I would like to spend shorter amount of time doing sound for my own pieces, you know, because I spend a lot of time and a lot of hours just listening for one tiny detail. Sometimes it's, it just drives me crazy. It's very tiring. And probably if you would, for example, give the material for the other engineer, if you would find someone to fulfill your faith, <laughs> to touch the music. So it would be, I think, even better because now I spend too much time for tweaking the details. But uh, also it's, it's very funny because probably you would spend a lot more time explaining for some other people how would you like to sound, you know? Probably it also sometimes saves time for the others. <laughs> right. And of course, a lot of people, when they listen to music that has an electronic component or even an electric guitar, for example, they may assume that this is all created on a computer. And what I think is important to realize with this type of compositional world is, you know, you're writing for real instruments, writing a score, and often connecting with an ensemble or a conductor. And they would have, let's say, an interpretive element. So you're presenting a score and the conductor has to learn it and try to connect the musicians to it. And before I ask you about the actual work with the ensembles or the conductors, I wanted to ask you about the experience of finishing the score and then sitting in the rehearsal hall, listening to it for the first time, being attempted by the ensemble. And how is it that you experience this first hearing in terms of how you compare it to what you thought it would sound like or should sound like based on the score? Well, usually I tend to leave a lot of possibilities for interpretation. And I like to do that because I my first instrument is piano and I was playing a lot of in the past and I realized how much the musician is important in the role of creative person. So I think I like to leave a lot of possibilities for interpretation, especially dynamic interpretation or even rhythmical. And well, first of all, when I come to the rehearsals, I try to speak with the musicians about the piece, about probably image or the idea, the reason why I choose some specific elements to expose my 
ideas and, and try to connect with them probably in the first stage psychologically, emotionally, you know. Then just on the second stage, we try to, to play, to, to hear the music. And if you're working with, say, a conductor, I know this brilliant young conductor, Carlos Varecoyes, how would somebody like him respond to this level of freedom that you want to give to the musicians? Yeah, it was especially in the last piece, which was written for the ensemble Synesthesis. Actually, I wrote the music for not the one ensemble, but for separate parts, uh, for basically for two ensembles <laughs> of Synesthesis. I split it, the ensemble, in two halves, right? And there was no way for conducting because the whole material was kind of free. But in some parts, they tend to, you know, come together. And in some parts, they have to split. And it was pretty hard task for him to conduct this piece because in some parts, he would have to split his brains into two halves, you know, which is pretty impossible. So he chose separate rhythmical pattern to conduct for, let's say, one half of ensemble. And the other half of the ensemble was following and trying to come into the material. So the next question that I had for you, and you can be as philosophical as you wish here, but the experience of the listener, it keeps coming back to this idea of melancholy, of solitude, of longing. And I think that everyone is looking for a way to connect to their inner state. And I think that you do this quite successfully as a almost homeopathic remedy and to the stresses of life. And I just wanted to see if there was a general response in how you view your intention about the cause and effect relationship between how you're feeling and how this feeling comes out in the music. Why should it be melancholy or solitude or longing? It doesn't have to be melancholy or sad moments in music. It can be, you know, as happy sounding as Mozart or some other cheerful composers. But I find the music and composition, the process of it, the only thing where probably I can be myself because sometimes we're forced to act in, in our lives uh, somehow a bit softer, or somehow in the way that you wouldn't like to act. <laughs> and that's why you sometimes you're probably trying to escape from yourself. Somehow you miss the chance to expose yourself in real life. So I think music is the only way and the only thing where I can show to the others my inner self <laughs> and actually not being afraid of that. <laughs> Yeah, that's very meaningful. Thank you so much for saying that. I think everyone is trying to connect with an accurate identity. Much of society and culture pushes us away from that on a day-to-day -day basis. So the courage to tune into your honesty and then try to take the risk to express it in just that way is very meaningful to hear from you. And I think it's obvious when you listen to the music
I remember one interview with sometimes actually even talking about the music, you know, talking about the art is uh, very difficult because there is a very big possibility of misunderstanding each other when you're trying to explain the ideas and by the help of the language. So I remember one interview with David Lynch where he was asked, what is Twin Peaks about? <laughs> and he was like, that's a wrong question, you know? I, I cannot explain you. <laughs> you have to look into it by yourself and to connect somehow with it, like, with a piece of art and that's by doing art by doing visual things by doing music that's the way of communicating with the people that's the way of artists way of communicating with people i think yeah so it's as you say it's very important to be as honest as you can and as much connected with your idea as it's possible because otherwise you have pretty good chance to lose everything It's almost like the higher level of honesty that you have and the higher level of risk you have, the bigger opportunity for the listener to have their own lives connect to it. Because everyone is very, very like trying to compose music in a very different way. I'm sure you chose the right profession. I have no idea because... <laughs> yeah. I have no idea because I feel... Sometimes I feel like I'm... Uh, I'm not an artist or even a composer, you know? <laughs> well, it's certainly easier now with prefabricated loop programs and endless software opportunities and auto-tune and all kinds of technical things to get people to do things without formal training or without mastery. And so it's, I still have a high respect for the tradition of learning the foundations of music And without the knowledge of Baroque music and classical music, how can you understand romantic music or postmodern? You know, so there's an investment that eventually leads into this, what has been called an unconscious competence from having learned properly. But it's, I wanted to say earlier about this idea of intention, and it, it even comes out in some of your titles, like you're trying to say something It might be difficult to get around to saying it. And there's this title, which we say in English as ellipsis, which is just three dots. Now, you decided to title it those three dots. So how did that happen? That was the piece which was commissioned by Yona Musica, I think, the festival. When I was composing this piece, I couldn't find the actual phrase or word or sentence or anything to describe the feeling which I'm trying to get the listener to be involved in. And I felt myself like I was, you know, sitting in front of myself, looking into the mirror and saying no words and just three dots, you know. <laughs> That's that, that what came to my mind. And uh, I think I, when I was composing, when I was uh, trying to find the concrete sentence or, or word, I was speechless. Yeah. It's back to the idea of the mirror. So you're often very elusive to gain clarity from the self. And I think when we put our work into forms for accessibility, it's also equally challenging. And even a title is Maybe it's important, maybe it's not important, but it is something that somebody might want to connect to in some way. Yes, if I could 
continue a bit. Sometimes I don't think that sometimes the title it's a, a very important thing to get involved into the music, right? But sometimes it could be very distractive thing. So maybe that was the point I was thinking about. <laughs> Yeah, there's also this idea of fragments. And much like life, there are moments of various types that you experience in a day. And one might think that when you sit down and compose a score, that it should have a complete life, meaning that there's a sense of beginning, some type of clear journey, maybe a point of tension, and then a release of tension, and then maybe even returning back home again. And when I consider, for example, fragments for two, 
and I see that there's resting intentions, maybe not so much on the stability and fragments for symphony orchestra, there's definitely a lot of what seem like fleeting or unresolved feelings, as in language, as in an incomplete sentence or thought. So maybe if we think that's not a resolution, maybe it actually is a resolution in the sense of how we go back to honesty in the sense that we have moments. So we have fragments. That's really all we have. Yeah. Actually, ourselves, we are just a tiny little fragments in this world. Yeah. <laughs> we have the start, the beginning of our lives when we are born and the death is like the conclusion of everything, you know, but from the macro point, from the eyes of the God, we're just the little tiny point of connection, this net. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're unimportant things in this world. It means that, well, being a part of the net, being the part of this relationship, you know, with everything, there's a whole lot of responsibility to be in it because you have possibility to change, you have possibility to choose, and you have possibility to, to create.
I wanted to ask you about what is in the future of Julius Angliskas. What projects are, uh, do we all have to look forward to? What are you working on? Now I'm working on the piece for great, great flute player, Manuel Zuria from Italy. And I hope it's gonna be fine because I'm, I'm a bit struggling with it. <laughs> but this is the normal thing with a new piece always for me. Then I think I have some plans to do some projects with pianists from Synesthesis on the solo piece. Probably some releases of unreleased works, especially the one which was commissioned by BBC Radio for Apartment House. It's called Blue Dusk. So yeah, basically around this. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll all look forward to keeping up and hearing this when it comes out. I hope so. <laughs> well, I really wanted to thank you for taking the time to meet with me today and contribute to this podcast. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you virtually, and I hope that one day I can meet you in person. Thank you very much, True. It was great, great pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to meet you too in the future. Ooh, sirens. <laughs> it's New York City.